Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor, and joining me to help explore this question is Aurora Ayurveda. Today we're going to be talking about the ancient art of tea ceremony. So you have very likely seen this in media or know about it from your studies, but tea ceremony has been a practice that's been in place for thousands of years, uh, primarily over in uh, Zen Buddhism in Japan. That's where a lot of this kind of comes from, but it's actually practiced all over the world uh, with a lot of different uh, variety. But today we have Aurora joining on to help explore this world and give us a baseline to kind of understand what's going on and how it's really not as uh, abstract as it may seem at first. It's a really grounding and amazing practice. And uh, for me, this is one of my favorite kinds of subjects to explore because it is something that we are always engaging with, like the, the idea of just drinking a cup of tea and it's making it sacred. And for me, that's kind of like what a lot of this stuff kind of points to is your everyday life has so many different opportunities that you can use as moments of mindfulness or a moment to really tap into something deeper and more profound than what we're typically led on to believe. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big tea drinker. I'm a big coffee drinker too. Um, so this was a really cool conversation for me because I've always known that it's, it's a, a pretty serious practice, but it's always kind of been on the peripherals. So now that I'm interacting with somebody who actually has an in, you know, it's just, it's, it's a really fascinating world. And it really ties in a lot of things that I'm passionate about. The relationship to nature that's cultivated when you really start this practice is fairly profound, actually. And I think anything that we can do to foster a deeper relationship with nature is, is a good thing, especially one where you're imbibing yourself with the, the plant matter that grows, you know, it's communing with the earth, you know, and oftentimes, as she says, some deep things come up. And it's really incredible that with just a little bit of attention, a little bit of awareness, we can turn a regular event into something that could potentially transform you if you are open enough to it. And that's kind of the thing, you know, that's, that's the, the heart of Tantra, it's not just uh, crazy yogic sex. It's actually interacting with the phenomenal world in a way that makes it sacred. It's playing with your human vessel in a way and just being as human as humanly possible. <laughs> That's weird how that kind of came out, but it it's using your life as the path and how to imbue your moments with sacred intention. And it really helps to kind of get a foothold through a practice. And I think that this one is great for that. So Aurora also does some other things. She's based in Asheville, North Carolina. She is a yogi, aromatherapist, as well as an Ayurvedic counselor. And if you want to reach out to her for, uh, you know, consultation or a service of one of hers, you can head on over to auroraayurveda.com. That's also her social media handle. If you are on Instagram, she has a pretty active account that is constantly posting delicious looking food that I really wish I could eat. Um, yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, it's spring, y'all. It's definitely springing. So I hope that it's treating you well. I hope you're finding a sense of vitality and aliveness. And yeah, without further ado, also before without the further ado, uh, I kind of forget this sometimes, but if you want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcast, leave us a review, whatever the review is, uh, interaction helps. Um, hopefully it's a good review. Hopefully you're digging the thing. Um, subscribe over to YouTube, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, uh, pretty much any interaction. It helps uh, build the buzz, which helps me get more awesome guests such as Aurora and beyond. So if you believe in this conversation, I believe in you and I'm glad that we're all on this journey of discovery together. So without further ado, times two, please welcome Aurora. All right, Aurora, we are now live. Hello and welcome to the show. How are you this morning? Hello. Thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor. I'm feeling really blessed and really excited and healthy this morning. 
Those are important things. Yeah, I like that's the first time I've heard someone specifically say that they're feeling healthy. I really like that. I think it's a good omen. <laughs> yeah. So I got to say, my experience of your platform, it admittedly is a mixed emotion because number one, I think you were posting amazing looking food, but the Taurus in me is always really craving that food. As soon as I see it, I'm like, dang, I got to get me some of that. So it's like a weird mixed experience where like I really enjoy all the content, but at the same time, it always leaves me wanting some food. <laughs> so thank you for that, I guess. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, I hope it inspires you maybe to get out there and make some of your own just like that and turn your food into art. That's one of the reasons why I love posting pictures of food is, um, you know, living is an art. Tea is an art. Ayurveda is an art. Our food can be art as well. Yeah, I, I did some research into your blog that you have on your website, and I really liked the post that your meals are meditation. And that kind of seems to be the, the thorough line between all of the work that you post. I really like the idea that like food is art and the spiritual path. So for us to really like unpack how you navigate the world of cuisine and drink or with tea, I, I'm just kind of curious about your own spiritual path and how you got to be on the path. What was, who were you before the path and how did you get involved with all this? <laughs> yeah, so it's, a, it's been a winding road unfolding. Um, so before I got onto my spiritual path, uh, I was really into the music scene, uh, conscious community through festivals and music and traveling. And that slowly evolved into yoga. So yoga was the first doorway I stepped through on my spiritual path. And I studied and practiced Ashtanga for a few years. While studying yoga, I discovered Ayurveda. And I was like, new doorway open, there's something here. And that's when I started studying Ayurveda and became an Ayurvedic wellness counselor. And there I would say is really when I connected the spiritual path, not just to spirit and my daily practice, but also to a deep uh, connection to myself, which I hadn't quite realized was fully there yet. And uh, after I graduated Ayurvedic school, I was really interested in meditation. And so I ended up uh, spending a week at Center for Spiritual Awareness in Lake Mont, Georgia, which uh, the last living disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, Roy Eugene Davis, was uh, the founder of that space. And I was blessed to be initiated into Kriya Yoga which was the teachings brought by Paramahansa Yogananda. And that doorway into meditation took me into the deepest state of awareness and presence and clarity that I had ever gotten uh, to experience thus far in my path. And so I practiced that for a while, but um, I was still really interested in finding a practice that uh, that didn't leave me seeking for more um, in terms of trying to find something different. And that's when tea came into my life. And, <laughs> and that wasn't something I was really looking for. You know, the spirit of tea kind of came in unannounced and, <laughs> and is, a, is a lifelong journey for me. Oh, I love that. I almost feel like that mirrors something that's really kind of universal to a lot of spiritual practices in that it does come in unannounced when your specific path kind of makes itself known to you. It like isn't something you have to really go searching for. Like there's some prerequisite work, but once you do enough of that work, then it just kind of happens and you're like, oh, this is it. Like this is the thing that I've been missing out on. So what was that first experience like for you when you, you realized like, like the light bulb went off and you're like, oh, tea is like, it's a path in itself. Yeah, I mean, I think that light bulb is still going off. <laughs> um, so I, I sat in my first tea ceremony about four years ago and just dropped into a really sweet space of presence. And at that point, I didn't really quite know that tea was a spiritual path or a way of life. Um, I just knew that it, it was calling me 
And so there's a, there's a saying that when you invite the spirit of tea into your life, uh, she'll come. And so before I knew it, little things were happening. Like I was gifted my great grandmother's teapot. Um, you know, all these little things were just kind of arriving. And before I knew it, I was sitting every morning, first thing in the morning for tea. Wow. I love that. <laughs> all the small little synchronicities that build up like grandmother's teapot. That's, I'm sure that you felt that, right? Like that was probably like resonated pretty deeply with you. Oh yeah. That's, and my great grandmother lived to be 104. So, whoa. you know, I started to question, was my grandmother drinking tea? You know, yeah. <laughs> did she know about this? Yeah. It's, it's in your lineage. Mm -hmm. Well, that's so cool. So when, People are hearing this. A lot of folks, I'm sure, have no idea that tea can even be a ceremonial thing. And a lot of folks are like, I'm drinking my Earl Grey in the morning, eating my biscuit. And I don't know why I immediately went to Britain. I don't know where <laughs> I came from. But um, so like, what do, what do we mean when we talk about like you sat in a tea ceremony? How does that differ from just like enjoying a tea on your back porch? Yeah, so tea in modern day has kind of become a commodity, something we, you know, drink without really giving too much mindfulness to, um, I could say that's the same with our food or anything else we do. Like, you know, we're not really seeing it as something sacred or something to give our full attention. Oftentimes we're just multitasking and going about our day. And tea nowadays has also been so stripped of its spirit. So, you know, we have low quality teas and tea bags and um, but at the root and the history, like if you go back, uh, way back in time, the monks were the ones who originally, um, brought tea, uh, you know, into other places of the world and they were using it as a meditation tool and as a way to connect with nature and connect to the inner nature and to the self. And so when I speak about a tea ceremony, it's, um, it, it's sitting with uh, what's considered a living tea, uh, which has a high spirit and being fully present and being in that sacred ceremonial space. Um, and then also normally when you're in a tea ceremony, you're served tea. So there's an act of service, there's an act of reverence, and it's a really uh, beautiful ceremony of connecting to the plant spirit, your higher self and also connecting that space with others um, in a place of connecting to one another in an authentic way, on, in a soul way, without even you know, our language of words being necessary. So are these ceremonies typically not as much of like a social affair? It's not that you get served and you're like having idle chit chat. Is there, how, how is the container kind of created and held? Like what's the space feel like? Yeah, so I, I would say there's, you know, there's a, a lot of variety in ceremonies. Um, no two ceremonies will ever be the same, even if you had the same container and the same tea and the same people and the same intention. It would always be different because every moment is different. Um, so I can't speak for every ceremony, but in terms of how my ceremonies look, um, I serve what's called bowl tea. And so that's using a particular teacup that is a bit larger in size and you can sit with it uh, in a meditative posture. So um, typically you'll drink about anywhere to three and up rounds of tea in silence. Um, there can be music or there can be just silence, sounds of nature. And it's a ritual of just watching uh, the tea be prepared listening, connecting to all your senses, um, and then just enjoying the tea um, slowly in your own time. Hmm. How long does a, a ceremony like this typically end up lasting then? Uh, typically an hour at minimum, okay. but okay. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's different. I always serve at least a minimum of three, three rounds or three bowls of tea. So do you find that you have uh, like subsequent ceremonies with the same people? Like, do, is there kind of a deepening that kind of happens or is every experience kind of different in a way? 
like do you like build up off of the last experience and kind of just go a little bit deeper i would say every experience is different in its own way and depending on who's at the tea table has a lot to do with what we experience um and you know the the tea ceremony not just for me as the one serving but also like as the ones receiving uh it's a practice of listening as well so the spirit of the tea the message it like the spirit of the tea has messages that she wants to tell and and so that can have a different experience um as well you know what comes through for each individual how does that well if, if you don't really mind me asking how does it come through for you like when i'm trying to hear like i only really have like reference of i've done like cacao in a ceremonial setting and like the way that that kind of spoke to me was like kind of like a bubbling up from my heart like it was in my own voice but it was also modulated through the use of the cacao in, in your own experience how how distinct is like the communication of the tea? Yeah, so sometimes when I'm serving, it'll come up as a word or uh, almost like a theme or an energy. Um, other times, you know, it's, it's beyond words, it's a feeling. And tea has this capability to fill us, but also to empty us. And so it can be um, a communication that's happening within our emotional body, a release of the emotional body, a release of something we've been carrying, or it can be an intuitive insight, maybe clarity on something that hasn't been clear within you. And sometimes when I'm serving, I can pick up on other people's energy and kind of hear what the tea uh, wants to send out and in a way, uh, send that as a blessing, uh, to the guest. Mm, that's lovely. So how was it for you to step into the role of facilitator rather than, um, someone who was partaking in the ceremony? Like what was that transition like for you? <laughs> yeah. So that also was a bit unexpected and not something I was planning. I, so I had been, drinking tea in my own ceremony for just me every morning for a couple of years. When I was invited to serve tea for teenage boys at a recovery program here in Asheville. And I felt uh, a little bit unsure, you know, am, am I ready to, to serve? Do I really know what I'm doing here? Um, can I really be of service and, and help these boys? And so that was when the shift happened from me, you know, doing my own healing and my own connection with tea to being of service. And, and I have to give a lot of gratitude to those boys because they taught me so much about service and about what was really happening there. And, you know, before that, it was my, my own experience. And after being of service and serving in ceremony in a group like that, um, and them being so vulnerable in what their experience was, it really opened a doorway to, to uh, the path of service that is within tea, within the sharing of tea. Um, and so I have a lot of gratitude in my heart for them. And that's where I started out being of service. And, um, and now it just feels so natural as it did you know, for a couple of years as I was just serving myself, now it just feels like natural and um, a part of the path that I am to share this, this medicine and this practice that's so dear to my heart. Oh, it's so wonderful. Something tells me that you're a fan of Hanuman. Is that a thing? <laughs> well, funny you should say that because uh, he's uh, right here sitting beside me. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Oh, I love that. That's great. Like a little bronze statue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, funny story about my connection with Hanuman. So, <clears throat> where I was served tea for the first time was actually an opportunity where I got to house it for these amazing folks who had a puja room where they mm. they drank tea every morning. 
Real quick, could you explain what that is? Because I feel like not that many people may know. A puja room? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a, a puja room, it was just a room that's dedicated to prayer or ceremony or a spiritual practice. And gotcha. so, yeah, and so in, in this particular puja room, there was a, a tea table and all the teas and pictures of gurus and deities all over the walls. And uh, yeah, they were generous enough to give me a teacup and access to their teas. Mm. And, and that's actually where I began really connecting to, to tea and also getting curious about who were these figures on the wall. And one of them was Hanuman. And uh, I felt really called to connect to this picture of this monkey adorned in fruit and jewels. And I'm like, you know, I didn't really understand it, but something caught me there. And, uh, and it was uh, about three days in that I just started saying his name over and over and then just was washed with tears and a huge release. And so... Yeah, the path of tea and uh, service and the connection with Hanuman all kind of came to me at the same time in the same room. Wow, that's so powerful. That's one of those really auspicious moments, you know, and the fact that it was like right on your path. That is, that's really incredible. So when we're talking about like the nature of service and the spiritual path, what do you think, like, do you think, is it essential? Is there a way in, uh, in Buddhism, there's the three vehicles for enlightenment. So there's the Hinayana, which is liberation through self uh, study. And there's the Mahayana, which is liberation through service of others. And then the Vajrayana, which is uh, like the Tantra teachings. But there are some people in that tradition who say that like, the Mahayana is considered the greater vehicle because it's the one that is most ripe for the potential to find liberation. Do you kind of agree that service is maybe one of the most clear ways that we can start to kind of escape the entra- entrapment of selfhood? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's part of it, but I also think it's a part that comes naturally when we're ready for it. So, you know, to, to find a practice that works for us and awakens our being, whether that's yoga or tea or meditation, uh, to, to be excited about sharing it and being of service is one thing, but to really take the time to understand that practice and create a relationship and really, um, serve from a place of that knowing Mm -hmm. i think that's really important and i think now people are so excited to you know become a yoga teacher and then start teaching yoga um you know or they sit with tea once and they want to share tea and i think that's beautiful but i also think it's really important to really um in a way get to a point within your own practice where that invitation or that spirit is is pushing you to serve rather than kind of this ego driven, uh, I want to share this or there's something here. I know it, but I'm going to just share before I really truly connect and know. Yeah. I think that there is definitely a seductive quality to being the teacher or the one who shows. And I think unless you do like a lot of the work before, unless you really get the green light from your heart, it's really easy to kind of put the cart before the horse and make it a part of your personality. And as Ramdas says, you're trading a chain for a golden chain. And it really isn't like that much of a step up. But I still think there, there's probably still some good. I feel like there's got to be an aspect of that where someone will interact with your, your platform or your space and potentially still get some good. But I almost feel like it probably causes more confusion than it does legitimate honored space, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like in a tea ceremony, you're not just the, so sharing tea in a tea ceremony, I'm not just serving the tea. It's also serving a a part of my consciousness. It's, It's, and so where you're coming from in that place of service, um, can be felt and can be experienced. And so if you're serving from a place of that reverence and respect and true calling to just be of service, then that's going to be felt and experienced as opposed to 
maybe there's just a desire there, but it's not really sure where it's coming from. Mm. Yeah, there's there's an idea um, in Buddhism. If you can't tell, that's kind of where I, I my main wisdom stream is currently Tibetan Buddhism. And something that's really big in that system is the idea of lineage and transmission. So Buddhism is largely, it's an oral tradition in that you need to be interacting with a teacher who has interacted with another teacher who is kind of ordained, so to speak. And it's the nature of that transmission that is actually the teaching. The words in that are just a container to kind of hold relationships so that the actual subtle energetic work can take place. Do you think that tea is kind of a similar similar situation? Very much so. And, and, and tea is interesting because, yes, you have to sit with tea to connect with the spirit of tea and have, have those experiences for yourself, um, have those teachings unfold for yourself through uh, sitting with the tea and, and being with the tea. But then, you know, tea leaves without man are just leaves. So, you know, we need, we need the human interaction to, to boil the water and pour the boiling water over the tea leaves and reawaken the spirit. And so it's said in the, in the tea lineage that it's important to learn from the leaves. Uh, it's also important to learn from a teacher. Uh, but, you know, as you said, these teachings, they're really beyond words. They're really, even if we had all the words in our language to describe them or what's going on, it's really just scratching the surface to, to what wisdom lies within the experience. Wow, I love that. I'm sorry, I, um, as soon as you said teacher, like my brain was like teacher. <laughs> That's a terrible pun and I'm really sorry. You've probably heard that a few times. Um, so you mentioned something about living leaves mm -hmm. earlier, living tea. What, it, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by that? And how is it that all tea, I mean, all tea was alive at some point. Is there kind of a distinction to be made with that? Mm -hmm. So um, again, I think it's one of those things that it's hard to find a word that describes it, but living is kind of the best one that we have. So living tea means that the, the tea tree was, came from seed. So that's, that's the first thing. It means a couple different things, but it came from seed as opposed to how a lot of tea is grown in plantations, which is a trimming, uh, and then that trimming is regrown. So when you're growing anything from seed, it's going to have more potency, more spirit. Um, it's going to be stronger, more alive. So that's the first thing. And these seeds are either planted um, by man or they're growing naturally in tea forest. Um, so that's one aspect of what makes living tea, living tea. The second thing is there's no, uh, pesticides. There's no, uh, um, like fertilizer, you know, there's, there's nothing that's being used to alter the plants or make them grow any faster because in a lot of agriculture or tea plantations, it's all about the yield and how much the trees are producing and trying to get them to grow faster so that they produce more tea. And so living tea really honors the tea, the tea, the tea plant, the tea tree, and, you know, only asked for what nature is, is giving us. We're not asking for more. We're grateful to receive what comes off that tree. Uh, so that's another aspect. And then also the, the trees are um, separated. So they're not in a line or, you know, grown close together so that more t tea can be yielded. So they're, um, they're separated. They have space to grow. Uh, and then the, the final aspect is the energy that's going within the tea when it's being grown and harvested. And so, you know, the, the families that have been, uh, harvesting the tea for, for centuries, you know, they're, they're doing it with love and respect and gratitude and all of that energy goes into the tea, all of that intention. As we're talking about the idea of living teas and how important it is to find sustainably sourced teas that like respect the actual life form as well as its intention, 
how do we make sure that we get good tea? Like, how, how do we navigate the sourcing question? Yeah, so for this one, let's break it up into sourcing living tea. And then we'll talk a little bit about how to source good herbal tea. So for living tea, most of these teas are grown um, in different parts of China, either planted by man by seed or the seed is just naturally spread. So it's important that the quality of these teas are, they're grown in particular areas where they're naturally growing. So that means we have to source from companies that are actually going over and getting the teas from these regions. So to source from companies that we can trust and we know are doing it in a respectful way of uh, the culture and the, um, you know, who these leaves are being passed through, the hands that they're going through, um, is one way that we can do that. So I have three companies that I can recommend that um, provide really good quality teas with high spirit and really respect the, the art of tea and the hands that are growing these teas and working with these teas and bringing them to us. So the first one is Global Tea Hut. <coughs> the second one is Living Tea. And the third one is Rivers and Lakes Tea. Mm. Was one of those maybe like the first one that set the standard? Is there kind of like the grandfather of ethical tea sourcing or have these all kind of arised at like the same time? Um, I'm actually not sure. I think that Global Tea Hut is, um, in my experience, like the root of the best teas that are out there. Uh, they're a nonprofit. They had for a while a retreat center out in Taiwan and you can go out there and meditate for 10 days, learn tea, visit the tea plantations and farms, and um, and and their, just their energy behind what they're doing and what they're sharing comes from such a place of heart. And, and, and that can be felt in their teas. And Living Tea, they're a company based out of Colorado I think they're about newer, they're a little bit newer. And Rivers and Lakes Tea is a company that I just discovered. Uh, a couple folks from here in Asheville, their tea company is about two years old. And, you know, it's really important that in a way they're skipping the middleman. They're really going over there themselves and meeting these people and seeing their way of life. and and then bringing that tea back to us. So there's a level of respect and honor that goes into it. And so it's important to know the companies that you're, you're getting your tea from are actually going over there to these places where the tea grows and, and doing it with care and honor and respect. Yeah, I feel like that that relationship is so crucial for being able to like create a sustainably lasting ethical business is like you really have to like know the people that are investing their time and energy into growing the crop. There's something about that relationship that adds to the level of like accountability so that you can like trust the person you're buying tea from and then the consumers can trust you. Like unless that that initial relationship is there, it just kind of gets it's really easy for like exploitation, right? Like you got to be able to like shake the person's hand who pulled the leaves off the tree in order to really like complete that energetic transfer. I feel like I think like it's it's very very important. Yeah, absolutely because all of that energy from the moment that that seed goes in the ground and nature waters it and the sun shines on it and the hands go into picking the leaves and every every piece of energy that goes into it goes into that tea and then when we drink that tea we become that tea that tea becomes us so it is you know you think about long ago when we knew exactly where our food was coming from because maybe we were growing it or watching it grow or we knew the farmer down the street who grew it and now we we miss a lot of that connection and so by choosing companies like Living Tea and Global Tea Hut, Rivers and Lakes Tea, it, it kind of bridges that gap where we actually feel like we know 
where our tea is coming from because the people we're getting it from are taking the initiative and the heart to really do it the right way and not cut corners. Yeah, that's wonderful. So do you see that like with a lot of more mainstream tea companies, like the commodification of it, not only is it like producing a lesser product or kind of like an inert product, but like, do you feel like it's also damaging like the world of tea as a result? Well, when I think about the world of tea, it really comes down to like an awareness of tea. Um, and so, for example, certain companies that are making what they think to be good teas, maybe there's just not the awareness net there that that there's better tea or that there's a better way that they can be doing it. Um, whether that's getting it from the area it naturally grows in or, you know, so I think there's maybe a lot of teas out there that are the best quality that they have the w awareness of. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it totally does. Do you think that there's a brand that's like on the mainstream market that might be um, more committed to that that ethical relationship? Like if there's people who are going out and they're like, I don't have the money to get these very um, specific teas. Like I, I work way too much, but I really want to like incorporate this into my life. Is there a brand that you would maybe suggest starting with? Yeah, so I'd say more so than a brand, there's a couple different things you can look into um, when you're looking for teas. And so for herbal teas, it's going to be that it's organic always. And going for the loose leaf tea is going to be better than getting a tea in the tea bag. Any tea that's in a tea bag is the lowest quality tea that almost gets just kind of, that's like the shake <laughs> of the tea. Yeah. And so going for a loose leaf um, and, and seeing if you can find a local source of maybe a co-op or um, a store that sells it uh, in loose leaf and not tea bags. And then as far as living teas, Global Tea Hut offers a monthly magazine where you get uh, one tea a month mm -hmm. and they teach you how to brew it, where it came from, uh, it's really beautiful, and you can do that for as low as $15 a month. So there are definitely some options out there for being able to have these higher quality teas at a lower cost. Um, and Global Tea Hut, they also offer like a minimum donation on their teas. So for the quality that they offer, there's a, a couple different options between the monthly tea or just being able to give a donation so I think there's a lot of companies out there that are doing their best to make good tea uh, available. Hmm. So how much is Global Tea Hut paying you? What's the deal? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they're 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 paying me in spirit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're paying me in wisdom. Less, nice. you know, less. Dang, yeah. I want to get in on that. I'll be a rep. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so once people get the tea. Um, if they don't have anybody in their area to kind of help guide them through what one of these ceremonies looks like, and this is their only exposure to this world, what, what can people do to kind of bring the spirit of tea really alive in their life if they're kind of on their own and they can really only get this $15 a month deal or if they can only get a bag of loose leaf tea or bag of loose leaf tea, that's not how it works. Um, but like, what can people do to start their own practice with this? Yeah, so, you know, tea is, is a teacher in itself. And so uh, starting out, a good thing to do is to invite the spirit of tea into your life, into your heart. And if you do that, she'll show up. And as far as creating your own tea practice at home, uh, it's important to first create space for it. So, yeah, we can think of space as in the time for it, right? We have to, are we going to drink tea in the morning? Are we going to do it in the evening? Like, when is the time that we're going to sit with the intention to be present, you know, with this beverage? And so creating the time and then also creating the physical space. So whether that's your front porch or you set up a little space in the corner, um, creating a physical space where you're going to sit with this ritual, with this practice can be helpful. 
And then showing up to this space uh, with an attitude of um, respect. So keeping this space clean, um, coming there with, a, with an intention to be present and to just be with what is. And then it's also important to know that starting out, if you just have hot water and some leaves or um, even if it is a tea bag, that that's okay. And you don't have to have expensive teaware or the best teas. Um, what's really the most important is that you show up with an open heart and the intention and the respect and, and just make that space physical space and also space within your day to actually be with the ritual and try mm. it out. Mm. That's, that's interesting. It's definitely like, it's almost like the intention is more important than any of the form, you know, is that kind of what I'm picking up? Yeah. So there's a, a story that I really love about a, a tea master who takes one of his students to have tea served by just a man on the street who invited them for tea. And after the ceremony, the master says that was the best tea he had ever had. And the student was so perplexed. He's like, what? How is that the best tea? His teaware was all cracked and broken. His tea was stale. You know, he did everything wrong. Everything that the master had been teaching the, the, the student, you know, everything he had said, this man had done completely wrong. So he couldn't really wrap his head around how that was the best tea this master had ever had and the master said that it was the best tea because he served from his heart mm. and he served from that space and so you know that's coming from that place is really more important than the high quality tea you have or the the brewing methods or the teaware um, so yeah that that heart space and that intention can really brew good tea and brew a good experience and and bring you great presence so what about the the methods and the practice like the physical aspect of it where do you think that kind of got developed because there's definitely a very zen like quality like watching people work with tea there's a lot of like small maneuvers that are taking place and um, i know that that's like not the main thing of it but there is definitely kind of like a show to it like do does this kind of like have symbology to it or how does that play into the cultivated space absolutely so there when you're learning how to serve in tea ceremony um, you learn that each movement in preparation of tea actually does have not just one meaning but tons of meanings um, infinite meanings evenly even and even as the person receiving the tea um, the way that we hold the bowl or the way that we give the bowls back, the way that the bowls are being you know, cleaned with water before uh, filled with tea, all of it has symbolism and meaning and teachings within it. And what's really beautiful is starting out, we might think, ah, okay, we're, we're cleaning the bowls for this reason, but then maybe a year into your tea practice, you realize it goes even deeper than that and there's even more meaning. So all of these little mov movements and gestures really do have a lot of teachings within them. Wow, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, I've really only been around it like a few times and it's always been a really like chaotic. I don't think it was like the full, like honestly, like a music festival. I was like in a crowd and one of my auxiliary friends i look over and he's under a tree with his his board thing serving uh puer to folks and just like handing cups out to whoever's around and i really did enjoy the 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 sense of stillness in the loud crowd you know like he brought an energy with him even in that space you know do you think that that is as uh authentic and like genuine to what this is or do you think it's kind of a appropriation <laughs> No, I think it's genuine. I think it's beautiful because um, not every time you sit with tea needs to be a ceremony. Like you know, there's there's the the more um, qu you know quiet and silence, uh, drinking big bowls of tea um, type of ceremony. But then there's also ganfu tea, which is a little bit more actually about 
the method and the way the tea tastes and the way the tea is brewed and that's a little bit more of like a social mm. method and you see you're drinking little tiny cups of tea and so I think it's important to have the balance of you know sitting with tea in a meditative way where you're going a little bit more inward and you know slowing down a little bit but then also having tea with others in in a social way um where there's conversation and you know um, you're trying the teas for their flavor and it's a little bit more of like a balance so there's definitely different ways that you can enjoy tea and i think that all of them are um, are valuable and it's actually great to have both practices in your life mm. yeah i mean i can i definitely just want to like double down that it changed the the atmosphere it really created a bubble of like genuine like stillness within a space that typically is not still i think it was i think it was to like keller williams who you know he's definitely like funky and like really acoustic but um it was it was really profound for me honestly just seeing it and honestly tasting it like it was some of the best tea i've ever had and we were both like mm, yes indeed that was very very tasty so what what about for you what was the best cup of tea you've ever had Well, one thing I wanted to share when you were saying that was the best tea that you had ever had or, you know, that tea was so good and it filled you up and it filled the space and there was an energy um, really just made me think about that friend of yours who, who had that thought that I'm going to pack all my teaware and I'm going to set up under a tree and I'm going to share it with people. Um, that energy was brewed within his tea and that kindness and and you know even you receiving it there was gratitude there and there was an exchange there and so you know they say that like the most expensive teas um served from like not a place of heart you know aren't going to be as good as a cheaper tea that's served with uh good water and good intention and so i would say the the best cup of teas i've ever had are um, when, when I'm served tea or even when I'm serving myself and it's coming from this really sweet space of, 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 you know, respect and reverence like and sharing and service, um, yeah, more so than, you know, the best tea I ever had was this really expensive one that came from yeah. all the way here, yeah. you know. It's, yeah, there's definitely something just about the nature of um, service. And I was not tea. expecting yeah. that to be such a, like, tight theme within tea. I knew that it had, it was holding space. I knew that it provided a container for something. But, like, the more that I think about it, the more that it's, like, it's really all about the service. It's like you're doing that for that person and you really can't separate the two. So even when you're doing it alone, you know, it's an act of service to yourself to take the time to clean the space, to make that space special. Like you're in service of a part of yourself that needs to be acknowledged, which is the part of us that seeks reverence, the part of us that seeks immense gratitude, but we don't give it to ourselves. You know, we're, we don't know how to serve ourselves really in this country. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes me think also too. Like, okay, if I'm the one serving the tea, or if someone's serving the tea to me, but also like, what about the tea serving us? And so, a, a big part of tea is, yes, service, but also receiving and, um, you know, listening and and being open and, um, and so that's a that's a big part of it too. Is is receiving even as a server, even if you're the one sharing the tea, you know, can you, can you still be a listener? Yeah. I think that's really what makes a server uh, good. And my brain immediately went, cause I, we keep saying server, like the restaurant industry. I, I kind of had this breakthrough of like, oh, that is such a sacred role, like truly. And like so many people just treat it so poopy. And it's like that giving, like renting your nervous system out so that people can have a good experience and just being completely present with what they are needing in that moment. You know, it's, we have like a really twisted, like people kind of like look down on servers, you know, like we're very focused on like, taking advantage of that you know like baked into our society you know there's people who don't but it's just really interesting the way that we perceive 
service, you know? I mean, I know like in, in my family unit and in my extended culture from where I grew up, you know, there was definitely a sense of, um, yeah, just like looking down and just kind of like, oh, you're not being served. Therefore you're kind of like lower, like you didn't get like the privilege of being served, you know? And it's like this thing we have to like fight for and like someone's got to be on bottom and there's no like value in it, you know? But yeah, yeah, it's interesting to think about how we think of service. And, and what came up for me was um, traditionally in a lot of tea rooms, the doorway is made so that you have to crawl in. <laughs> and so <laughs> that essentially represents like it doesn't matter if you're the emperor or the servant or, you know, it doesn't matter what your status quo is. Everybody enters the tea room, you know, the same. And, and so there's that, there's that energy when we sit with tea as well that, you know, we kind of just strip our characters or our egos or our status um, and just, you know, come to be in that space together. Whoa. How do you bar the door like that? What is... Well, I think it's like a... I've actually never gone through one myself, oh. but I, I would imagine like some sort of like curtain or, mm. you know, something... Uh, that was gentle, but that, you know, everyone comes in the same way and it's in a humble way, you know. Yeah. That's, that's really beautiful. I, I didn't know that, you know, we've been talking this her time that that kind of completely changes what the space is like in my head of like, you really do have to like strip away so much to be humble enough to like get on your hands and knees, you know? And yeah, I feel like here in America, we don't really have any, any like culturally acceptable way to kind of get on your knees like that like i guess in i think it's is it catholicism you have to get on your knees for the communion um so like it is kind of baked into certain things but it's kind of seems like archaic but i think there is something psychological about that and like that's something that i've heard a lot about like from ram das when he met his uh guru uh, neem karoli baba and all the people around him a lot of the westerners had problems with like kneeling and touching his feet and like there's just kind of this, like Ew, like i don't want to like bow to somebody like the, the cult of ind individuality you know it really does not like that <laughs> yeah there, there's a i think there's an ego response there's a there's a resistance there there's uh interestingly enough something there that maybe doesn't feel safe yeah or uh, but in reality, it's actually what takes us even deeper into the heart space and, you know, that place of reverence where we can fully learn to bow in, in deep gratitude and, and really feel it and surrender that part of ourselves that says, oh, well, I, I'm better than this person or will I know more or because of my role or my character, I, I'm above that and really just let all of that go because none of that really matters. And, uh, you know, underneath it all, we're all, we're all the same, we're all one. And I think that in some ways, actually allowing ourselves to be willing to face that resistance and, and at least try to chisel away at it and, and really uh, do our best to learn how to actually bow in gratitude and reverence and honor and respect um, is helping us to actually feel what it means when we say we're all one or we're all the same, you know, because we're all very different too. But I think to, to really like know that beyond just our language or words comes from that place of surrendering the ego and, and really bowing. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Yeah. There's, hmm. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. It's just, it's just kind of resonating a little bit. That's another thing is I don't think a lot of people really allow room for silence. And I know that's weird on a podcast right now where that would make for a very boring podcast, but I, I'm noticing within a conversation that I also find myself kind of in that same thing. Like I'm not really willing to bow to the silence, you know, I'm not willing to like, just be grateful for the fact that like two humans get to share space you know, for whatever reason, whatever container it may be, you know, and it, it kind of feels there's something similar there. You know, there's, there's a lot of like wanting to like put personality into things. There's a lot of like not wanting to give up, you know, and I think that that's something that not give up, give in, you know, and 
I think that that's where a lot of people get hung up. And I say a lot of people, but like myself included, you know, I'm not above that. You know, that's something that we're all kind of casting off. And really like the act of bowing is, it's like giving in to just accepting the silence within that exchange, you know? A lot of people will show up to some of these things and kind of like, yeah, but like, what's your angle? Like, how are you going to take advantage of me? When really like the person's just sitting there just holding space. Yeah, yeah. And I loved how you mentioned like, you know, being in that space of listening or silence or sharing silence with other, it, it, can, it can totally feel uncomfortable, especially in a situation like this where it's a podcast we're supposed to be talking all the time. But when that ring of truth kind of comes in and you feel it somewhere in your body, like it's really beautiful to just sit with that and let that kind of seep in and, and understand it beyond our minds or beyond our symbols and language, but to really let that information settle in other parts of our being and in a lot of ways that's one thing that I love about tea ceremonies in particular with groups um, is that we are coming together and having such beautiful experiences without any words spoken and also being in silence can feel really uncomfortable especially for a lot of people that aren't in silence or don't practice uh, meditation or, you know, just listening even, which is common for a lot of people. And so in a way, it's like watching the tea be brewed and hearing the sounds and then tasting the tea and, and sharing that space of silence almost gives permission or like a, an easy, comforting doorway to just be silent and be with what is and listen beyond the ears. And, you know, it's like outside of that, how many opportunities do we have to really do that? Right. And are we taking them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, the idea of like permission for silence, you know, and I, that's what I find really interesting. Um, just for the listener's perspective, we just did, uh, I walked you through the mindfulness meditation that I offer my other students. And I, I think that that's honestly the biggest contain or the biggest thing about that is that it's just permission to just sit still, you know. And sometimes I get like in my head when I'm, you know, offering that space for people, and I'm like, well, what if I don't like articulate it well enough? And what if I don't like paint the view and like really get them into it? And then they'll just sit there in silence. But like, really, it's like those three steps. It's just like taking your seat and watching your breath, and then, you know, bringing it back to the breath. But it's like, it's just a container for silence you know, and it's, what a gift, you know, what a gift. And I think that that's like the biggest like salve to the current Western psyche because it's so active, you know, mine included, you know, we're all living out so many different stories and we're just like rushing for the future and like running away from the past and like worrying about this and that. And we're never really here, you know, we're never really here in this present moment. And as soon as it presents itself, like I felt myself a little bit earlier, where I'm like, I don't have the next immediate thing picked out in my brain. And like that made me uncomfortable. There was like a gap in that, that I think we're all trying to avoid. We're all trying to avoid that like, you know, and then here we are in America, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, we've been conditioned to fill space, yeah. right? Like. If we, if we buy a new house and it's empty, what do we do? We immediately think, okay, the couch will go there. This painting will go on that wall. What are we going to put in this empty wall? Like, we immediately, like, try to fill all the spaces. And um, part of what I've learned through tea is uh, space-first living. Mm -hmm. And so, like, actually allowing there to be space and allowing... You know, like in this situation where you didn't have the next question or the next thing to say, like allowing yourself to take a pause and breathe and allowing whatever flows through to come through. And, you know, in our lives, I think that that happens a lot. Like if we're just trying to fill the space in our lives with our plans and our desires and you know what we want to happen rather than creating space to allow things to happen mm. um, then yeah we're kind of just living off that conditioning of like filling the space filling the space and um, tea really teaches about space first living li living mm. and, and allowing there to be space for 
opportunities, uh, blessings, um, you know, insights to, to come through. Well, I, I think it's really interesting in that like space and silence are pregnant with a lot. There's a lot that arises from space. Everything arises from space and silence, you know, but we don't really, we're like, we're afraid to see what comes up because oftentimes it's not what conforms to our story, you know, and like, we really don't want to give up that story. You know, it's the same thing about not wanting to bow. And the moment that you really do let go of your story and the moment that you start to be like truly receptive to what the silence is showing you, it could definitely like blow your house of cards down a little bit. But I think that there is something so essential to the human story to have that experience. Like I, I think there there's a few key marks of a human existence. You know, there's loss, there's grief, pain, death, falling in love, having children, if that's your thing, your relation, whatever your relationship is to that, being in nature, but also dying before you die, I think is a very crucial thing. And that really happens in that spaciousness, you know, and we, I, I think we're starting to see a lot of neuroses come up because we don't have a, a genuine relationship with space or silence. Um, because like you said, we're just trying to fill literally everything. How do we unwind? It's not by sitting and just being, just breathing. We unwind by filling our minds with media, with entertainment, with things that take us away from the silence. And we're promised like a continued, you know, like tune in next week, tune in next week, tune in next week. And where we have something that we can kind of like nestle into and find comfort in the familiarity of it. But that familiarity is just ourselves, you know, where we, we find content that mirrors what we already feel, you know, we're never really like on the cutting edge of what it means to be alive which is to be in the stillness within the activity, which doubles back to the mindfulness meditation, you know, that's training to find the stillness in, in the storm. It's the development of equanimity. And that's really, the only way you can do that is if you make that connection with stillness, you know, otherwise you're just going to always be blown about in the wind and never truly know. I mean, you come from silence as well. You know, in order to know yourself, you have to know where you came from, at least somewhat. Yeah, you know, making space for, for being rather than just doing. Like, we're human beings, mm. <laughs> not human doers. And yeah. so often we're caught up in the doing and the doing. Um, but what about, as you said, just, just, just the being? And, and I think that's what's really beautiful about, you know, whether it's tea ceremony or you holding the space for people to meditate, even if it's just 5, 10, 15 minutes. It's, it's so powerful that there, there are containers out there that, you know, we can, we can put ourselves into or we can offer to others to give an opportunity to settle into being mm -hmm. and for the action to just be being, <laughs> resting in that beingness. Yeah, I, I truly think, and I mean, I have taught maybe five people at this point, uh, about meditation and every time I do it I, I find myself more comfortable in the role but also I'm starting to realize that it is the most radical change making we could possibly do when we're considering um, like when we look at the world with all of the issues that are happening and all the perfection as well I really do think meditation is maybe one of the most radically sovereign producing experiences that we could be holding for each other you know, and this podcast is kind of a meditation in that regard as well. You know, I, every episode, as soon as the recording button goes on and I know it goes out, you know, it's like, I got to get this episode out. So within that hour, so much reflection is happening and it just had like, I just watch myself go. And then after I'm like, okay, so like I was playing a character that whole time. <laughs> and then I'm like realizing like, well, how much else of life am I playing as a character? You know, and like, how much did I like bring a guest on to play a character and then talk to them as if they are this very specific thing? And, you know, as I'm moving through the podcast space, it, it is becoming more spacious and more meditative in that regard to where I'm just like watching all this stuff happening. It's like, it's not good or bad. It's just what I apparently think is going to appeal and gel well, but it, it just like is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry, this is getting to be like the most meta of my podcast. podcast. Like, let's just talk about <laughs> being just talk doing about podcast. Being. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's space for it. Yeah, space for so space much. For so much. Cool. Well, um, this has been really rewarding for me for a number of reasons, primarily because we're getting so meta, but also because we've had technical difficulties, which I will be totally honest with. You've been so good to work with in terms of your patience and flexibility. I really want to extend a heartfelt thank you for agreeing to come on a second day and listen to me blabber on. Um, I really appreciate it. I I think this was a lot of fun uh, both days. So hopefully, I I don't hope, I trust that guests will will feel what you're putting out there and um, hopefully follow you on your, your social medias and your website. And if they're in the Asheville area, we'll maybe seek you out for your services of which tea is just one of them right yes yes so i i serve tea and i do ayurvedic wellness counseling tea yoga and aromatherapy mm. oh i didn't realize aromatherapy was on there okay cool. i love the plants yeah <laughs> the plant teachers well thank you so much for this opportunity to to share a little bit about tea and why it's so special to me and um, also really appreciate you taking the time to share and hold the space of the container of the meditation which you did to me for me and helping me to ground more into myself and speak from more of a space of clarity Uh, Mm. so thank you so much for your presence and for the space you held for me here and also for taking that space to take a deep breath and just have space within uh, this space of a podcast where it's a lot of filling the space. I thought that was really, that was really beautiful yeah. and a, a good representation of, of space first living. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Cool. See, I'm already learning so much. <laughs> awesome. Well, Aurora, where can folks find you? So my website is www.auroraayurveda.com. Cool. And is that also what your socials are? So my Instagram is Aurora underscore Ayurveda. Heck yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. All right, friends, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way till the end. I really do make this show for you. If you want to keep in touch with Aurora's uh, pretty amazing platform, head on over to auroraayurveda.com. Same deal with her social media handles. Her Instagram is fire if you like looking at cool recipes and stuff like that. So, yeah, thank you again so much. We're going to be meeting up at Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time next week. So be there, all major streaming platforms. Um, Yeah, if you want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, subscribe to YouTube. You can do the Facebook or the Instagram, whatever floats your boat, however you want to stay in touch. If you have any questions or want to book a mindfulness meditation instruction, head on over and uh, email me at 21stCenturyVitalism.com. That's at Gmail, because I can talk. Um, 21stCenturyVitalism at gmail.com. Cool. All right, so we're all squared away, y'all. Hope you have a great week.